have a picture that I want to put up for you that will be quite self-explanatory. Um, and it's that one. We had actually a line in one of our songs that, that spoke about an anchor, anchor of our souls. And some interesting facts about anchors is that um, it helps keep a boat attached to one place. As you would know, when they want to stay stationary, they, they let down the anchor onto the ocean floor so that it doesn't go adrift into the sea. When an anchor is thrown into the sea, it becomes invisible. There it's visible, but once it's dropped into the ocean, nobody sees it. Um, they only see the effect of it on the actual ship or boat that it's attached to. Um, it's fixed to the bottom of the sea once it's dropped. Those on the boat know it's there, although they cannot see it. And, and similarly, a spiritual anchor in our lives is what keeps us grounded, connected to what matters most, and able to cope with the challenges that life may bring into our lives. And so hence, we, we are desperate for God to be that anchor in our lives, isn't it? And you can see it visibly when people have that anchor in place, that when times are tough and the winds are rough and the storms are out there in our lives, you can see when a person is attached to God and if God is an anchor in, in an individual's lives. It's obviously a common metaphor for stability. And, and Jesus should be that stable factor in our lives, isn't it? We all should have Christ as an anchor. And, and by the way, we always say this, and we want to encourage all of you, that if you do not know Jesus as, as an anchor in your life, as the only anchor, by the way, if you do not know Christ as an anchor in your life, you are so welcome to come and talk to us. It's not that we have all the answers, but we want to help you let that be and let Him be an anchor that provides stability and, and, and just keeps you stay um, kind of fixed to, to this hope and to this absolute reality of we cannot live without God. Cannot live without God. And so we'd love to help you. And so this morning, as we steer back into Exodus, I really want to talk to you about anchors of the soul. Anchors of the Soul, which is the title of our message, the next slide. And we've been two weeks ago, or three weeks ago rather, Kilton helped us to understand just the snare of idolatry that Exodus 32 talks about, the golden calf story. Then, then our friend Jakob Lima from the Czech Republic came, and, and two weeks ago he carried on talking about just the thing that we, we have this light version of God, and, and he used Exodus 32 to help us understand that also. And, and we're going to still be camping for today at least and probably one more Sunday on Exodus 32 because there is just so much that we need to, I feel, um, learn from this chapter. And so just to quickly summarize Exodus 32 to you, for some of you may not have read through it, but it simply is the story where Israel becomes impatient with Moses and actually with God, 
Moses had come up on, gone up to the mountain to spend time with God, not just to have a leisurely time, but God wanted to give him some instructions for the people. So Moses goes up, and he's like, 40 days are going to be up there, and, and the people are down here, and they're like, ah, oh, where's Moses? Where's Moses? Moses, Moses, Moses. He's not around. And so they get impatient with, with not having Moses around. And actual fact, more so with, oh, by the way, it's nice to have this thing, but you probably should start it as well, hey? Boom, start. That would have helped. <laughs> anyway, that, the, the first whatever minutes were just for free. Thank you for being so kind, giving me that extra space. Um, but anyway, it's started rolling. Um, the second thing that we see from Exodus 32 is that, that the people, because they were impatient with Moses and with God, really, they let Aaron make them a, go, a golden calf. And so that's what happens. And, and, and God is usually upset about this. It's like, guys, you know, I did all this for you. Now you're going to, and uh, you're just steering away. You want to have a, a, an idol in your life. And God informs Moses of his plans to actually destroy the people. That's what's happening in Exodus 32. At the same time, Moses pleads with God, and he says, God, please, please, you can't do that. It's just not the right thing. And he has a whole reason why he suggested from destroying them, because God was out there according to what the Bible says. And God then decides not to do it. And, uh, and, and he relents, the Bible says, from doing, which is opening up a big conversation for us. This is one of those chapters where people are like, oh, these, the, particularly the thing where it says God changed his mind. We're like, ah, let's skip that part, you know. Let's go to the other parts. Because God changing his mind? You ever thought about that? And people praying that God will change his mind? How does that fit into your theology? Maybe you've not thought about that. We're going to talk about it. Anyway, and so Moses coming down now from the mountain and sees what actually had taken place and what is happening is really upset, breaks the, the two tablets, incredibly unhappy with the people. Same guy that pleaded with God not to destroy them. And then we see that law and order is um, restored through God's judgment uh, on the leaders who led the rebellion. And uh, we find that 3,000 men were killed. So something serious. There's a lot of stuff here. This is like a narrative that you've got to take some time to read through. You never want to rush through this one because there's deep stuff in here. And that's why we're on our third week dis discussing the, 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 the story and, and what we can learn from it. And then we see that eventually every person who sinned against God uh, would receive their eventual judgment. Where God says, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So God's... In, Serious, and I think so often we, we, we want to celebrate the grace of God, and that's right. But we've also got to talk about the judgment of God that He says, I do not, I do not celebrate sin. But we live as human beings in a world where that is happening, where sin is celebrated, usually, and, and, and it's not frowned upon. And when the church comes and says, No, we think that's wrong, they're like, oh, Come on, don't condemn, don't judge, you just step aside. And so we find this, the tension between seeing this God of grace wanting to express his, his love and concern and kindness towards us, but also this God of judgment that says, you know what, you've, you've sinned, I'm going to blot you out of my book. Okay, now I find, we find ourselves in the middle, and that's where we want to go and, and present to you this morning just a, a few anchors of our soul from this story. And I'm not going to be able to actually present them all to you today because they're lengthy, they are, they're weighty, 
We've got to take some time. And, and I can see some of your faces already saying, how long will he take today? Oh, don't worry. We're going to have to do it over a, a period of time, maybe two Sundays, where we kind of have to dig deep into these anchors of our soul because these are the things that keep us stable in life. And I think too often we just, we have the, an, an awareness of an anchor. We have an awareness of God wanting to be an anchor, but we're not allowing Him to be that anchor. And so this morning, I'm going to give you four things and probably only get to about three because the fourth one we need to get have more time um, to spend on. So the first anchor is the fact that God can be trusted more than any human being. God can be trusted more than any human being. You think, yeah, no, you don't know my mother-in-law. She's amazing. I'm like, I, I, I agree. I don't know your mother-in-law, but I do know God. And I'm not trying to be presumptuous and try to be funny either, but, but there's no... Um, a, Mel, do you want to say something now? Because <laughs> she's sitting next to her mother-in-law. She's like, she, I wanted to say something about you, Martha. Anyway, um, but, but we, we people, and, and, and we're all trying to be loyal and, and to be people that, be, that can be trusted. But there's no one that can be trusted like God. And, and I think one of our, our discouragements as people here on earth, and the fact that we often get disillusioned is because we put too much trust in human beings instead of God. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't trust people. I'm just said, saying and, and, and imploring you to trust God more. It's almost like Jesus when he said, you cannot come to me unless you hate your father and your mother. And we're like, oh, what did you just say, Jesus? Yeah, I did say that. you got to not actually hate them, but you got to love me more. And so what I'm trying to suggest to you is you got to trust God more. And, and we cannot build our lives upon people because we should firstly build it on God. And I, you will get disappointed with me. I'm sorry. That's just the reality. And, and some of you are like, oh, no, you've done that plenty of times. I'm sorry. And I'll probably do it a few times more. But I am not God. And, and, and we need to build a theology and build a culture, first of all, as a church that that God is the only one that we firstly should put our trust in. Because read verse 1, because it's up there. It says, when the people, say the people. Who are those people? You know who they are? They're us. Uh-huh. They're us. Sometimes like, yeah, those people. Or they. Do you know who they are? They are often mostly us. All right? It says here, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... Again, the people. Say with me, the people. Now you're talking to yourself now, hey? <laughs> it says, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. I don't know what Aaron was doing that they had to say to him, up. But it says, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses. It's not just Moses. It's like this Moses, that's kind of like derogatory in a sense, isn't it? Like this guy, this Vesti, he told that this is not happening. He said this, we're going to have this, and, and now this is not happening. And, and as for this Moses, it says here, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. This Moses, or this brother of mine, or this wife that you gave me, Lord. See, 
what she's been doing. Or this boss that I'm supposed to have, we just don't get what was promised to come our way. Or these people. We live in a world where it's those, this man, these children, that father, this mother. And we live with that, that we constantly are accusing. We're constantly unhappy with what people are not supposed to do and are doing. And we, we gather ourselves, like these people did, around a person. It says there, they gathered themselves together to Aaron and said those things to him. They referred to Moses as being the one that led them out of Egypt. It's amazing that it doesn't say they gathered themselves together and said, God, we don't know where Moses is, but we know that we remember not too long ago now, a few weeks, we were in Egypt, we were in slavery. We remember this is what you did, you brought us out. By the way, all the um, golden items that they have here to give towards the golden calf, that's what they were given by the Egyptians. Remember how you released us and we walked out there with gold? <laughs> and, then, and then when we walked out, remember oh, the, the Red Sea here? Just made a way for us where there seemed to be no way. And then the enemy came and they wanted to kill us. Oh, oh yeah, we remember how you, you protected us and how they all drowned. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we went into the, there was just nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And oh, yeah, yeah, I remember we had water out of nowhere. And, and then there was food out of heaven. And, and I, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. And Moses is not amongst us. So what difference is that going to make, guys? No one came up with that idea. They just all gathered themselves around Aaron and complained to Aaron, this Moses is no longer with us. But who is the God who brought us out? What has he done for us? And that's the danger, folk, that we can live in a world where it's, where are these people? I've been phoning Zesa for like three weeks. <laughs> They're not coming. Huh? And what's happening? And I understand, we've also had that wonderful things happening with Zesa. I've got like 20 numbers on my phone for Zessa. Because <laughs> I send them birthday wishes every week. No, I don't. <laughs> I wish I knew. Maybe that's what we should do. Find out when their, their birthday is. I just send them. Hey, buddy, I just want to say happy birthday. No strings attached. Come on. Hey? I think we should do that. Come on, let's challenge one another towards a different way of relating to Zessa. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Stop it now, you guys. Um, so, so we put our hope in man. We put our hope in the earthly skills and the earthly abilities. Instead of gathering ourselves around God. Could they say, I want to ask the question this morning. Is it possible that any grumbling, those of you that don't understand the word grumble, anybody can explain to me what grumbling means? Anyone? Complaining, what is that? Moaning. That's a good word, moaning. Anyone experience a little moan? Don't raise your hand now. It's just you're going to smile. I know you're going to smile when I ask this question. Anyone complained or moaned this week? 
<laughs> Your smile is saying it all. <laughs> anyway, don't worry, I'm not taking pictures of this and recording it. But we live in a world where there's a lot of moaning, isn't it? Grumbling. And we feel it's so great to have you join me up on the stage here. I mean, he's just, this is a prop, not a prop as in rugby, but he's got something else to add, which is turning off my mic. Is that correct? Am I going to be back on the air? All right, we're just trying to, to change frequencies. Hey, I understand a little bit about electronics, the off and on button. Anyway, thanks so much for serving us this way, Chama. Uh, we live in a world where, where we're constantly aware of the fact that there's a lot of grumbling and moaning going on. I want to suggest to you this morning, just like our friends here in Exodus, they were grumbling because they had some form of memory loss. So, so if you think that you're a bad person, I think it's just all you've got to ask the Lord is, Lord, restore my memory. If you're grumbling, no, not if, let's take if out, eh? I have out. Let's take, replace it with W-H-E-N. When? I'm, I'm, I'm doing it to myself. When I grumble, Father, I realize that I've actually, it's a moment where I'm helped to remember that my memory is not so good. And, and maybe it's because of my age, but maybe it's just because of my carnal nature. That I'm a person who easily gets upset when things don't happen the way that I want it to happen. But I live in a world where God can be trusted more than any human being. And so when I grumble, Lord, it actually it's a sign that something is not so great with my memory. And when I ask you to remind me of your faithfulness, <gasps> but you have been faithful to me. I can... That's why we often when we just gather together as friends, we want to ask each other the question, what are you thankful for today? Just to refresh your memory so that your words will be different than moaning, as Bongi said. That it will words be words of thanksgiving and of praise. It's easy. It's just your memory. It's your memory got stuck a little bit somewhere. God's not going to help me. And you just kind of like stare around that thought that it's not going to happen and God's not able to. And, but then when Holy Spirit comes and He just releases that, that, that moment of being stuck somewhere, your memory comes back. You realize, hey God, you're in control. I remember what I read. I said, says in the Word clearly these things about you. And so my my fear, my anxiety, my concern. <gasps> Where is this Moses? He's just been up the mountain the whole time. But we don't really need Moses. We have God. And it's something that we've got to live and, and proclaim as the people of God constantly. What's this nation going to be up to after elections? We don't know. But who is with us? Exactly. Hey, memory loss has come back here. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just God is. And so when we grumble and we're like, ah, oh, we see these things happening again and there's a moaning and, and I understand the reality. And, and, and guys, we're all in this thing together. But let's gather ourselves around God. And, and you know, gathering is not just a, a group, a corporate gathering, but it's an individual gathering. How are you gathering yourself around God? 
Or are you gathering yourself around people? I just want to go speak to that person in the States that could just bail me out with a couple of grand. And maybe that will come and that will happen. And we just run to people. I want to implore of you and please help me too. We're going to run to God. We're going to gather ourselves around God. That's an anchor for us. He is the anchor. And so if anything else or any person has become an anchor in your life, repent of it. Yeah, these guys, they were, they were desperate for Moses to come and sort them out. And now they implore Aaron to do, to do something for them so that they can have something tangible to hold on to. And it became a golden calf, which God was obviously hugely upset about. But they wanted to have something that represented hope for them. And I don't know what you're trying to hold on today. If it's not God, I beg of you, in Jesus' name, let go of that. And gather yourself around God. And please, if you see my life, Steering in a way where I'm becoming more dependent. I'm from South Africa. I have friends in South Africa that I could possibly phone if I'm running into trouble here. It's like, hey, would you bail me out, friend? I, I'm running. I'm gathering myself around my friends, not around my Savior, Jesus. There's no better anchor to have in life. And this anchor never, never will desert us. You know, there's a song that that we have sung, and one of the chorus parts, words of the chorus is, he's never going to let, he's never going to let, he's never going to let me down. And I, I said to the guys, let's not sing that. Because God will never leave me, he will never forsake me, but there will be times when he will let me down because I'm expecting this and he doesn't do that. God has let me down according to my expectations many times. But I cannot sing a song that says, you will never let me down. And I'm actually teaching you something that in in the future you become upset with God because we sing this song, God will never let me down. I'm not saying that the guys who wrote the song are wrong. I understand what they're trying to say. But I want to protect you from understanding and believing something about God that's not biblical. John the Baptist, his head was chopped off after he did what he needed to do. I mean, his disciples, they're like, hey, who is this guy that you preached about? You prepared the way for him, and then when he comes on the scene, you, go, you lose your head physically. Literally, he did. Hey? And so we sing a song like, God's never going to let me down. It's always going to work out for my good. Yeah, God works out all things for his good, not necessarily for my good. I've got to make peace with that. And that's why I can, I can trust Him. And when it doesn't happen the way that I want Him to do it, I can still trust Him. There's a family in church that, not here this morning, but a couple of weeks ago, most of you don't know it, they lost their 23-year-old daughter through leukemia. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus for healing. She was part of a twin. And the daughter is still fine. But it's not easy. But death is just the reality of our lives. 
that we all are here today and we're so thankful, but we all will die. But we don't live for this life here because there's a greater life that we live for. And we've got to celebrate that. And when death comes, we deal with it. And God is so incredibly kind to help us to go through the morning and to comfort us. We've got to learn to deal with it. And in that, we can trust Him because He is the God that can be trusted. And so, it's wonderful to have people that are incredibly kind and loyal, and we celebrate that. We, we really honor those that they give their word, they're there, they help, they, they will be available, and they always make a plan to reach out to others. And they can be trusted for what they said, but we cannot depend on people as the source of everything that we need in life. God is the one that we need to trust in. Unfortunately, it happens when we put our trust in mere mortal beings that we become so discouraged and often it leads to people withdrawing from one another, people even withdrawing from church. That I, I, I thought you guys were going to be there for me, but you weren't. I thought you were going to come in and just help out, but you didn't. And I'm so sorry we didn't. I'm so sorry where we disappointed you. It's not our aim to do that. But we need to steer each other, point each other towards God. That in this incredible tension of us wanting to be there for one another and to love the church and to be there for each other and to reach out and to love on, and we're going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes. But God never does. God never does. And so let us trust in Him fully. Hebrews 6, I want you to read this with me, please, because these things are so incredibly important. I want you to understand what it means to have God as an anchor. And there's no way we're going to get to all four today. We've only done five minutes, and no, we haven't. Hebrews chapter 6 reads as follows. I want to read to you the portion, the full one, from verse 13. If you want to swipe there, if you want a page there, that's great. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. God made a promise. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, say with me, patiently, it's a lovely word, eh? <laughs> it says, um, and having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Sometimes we miss that. Hey, we want the promise, but the, the journey in between the, the, the promise-making process and the promise realized is a process called patience. And we're like, no, let's just take that one out and let's just link these two as soon as possible. It's like the promise made and the promise fulfilled Gee, that would be wonderful if they can just happen in one moment. But God wants to teach us something about character. For In verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. I'm going to read that again. The unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, his purpose and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So there's a lot of deep things in this. But essentially what it is saying is that we, because of God and His unchangeable character and His unchangeable promises towards us and this oath that He had made, He had made a promise. We have a sure, it says there, a sure and steadfast anchor. We can trust God no matter what. No matter what. And sometimes you people say, well, don't tell me no matter what because I trusted God in this and this didn't happen. But you see, even the outcome of what I trust God for does not determine who He is. If I trusted Him for blue and blue didn't happen but green, it just changes me from having to understand that blue was probably not the right thing then. God wanted green. We thought, I wanted blue. I really, I had 10 verses that said blue. Why not blue? Well, you see, that's where I've got to tap into his nature and his understanding and his will that is far beyond my own. But he can be trusted. That is an incredibly strong anchor that we need to have in our lives. And I don't know what you're going through. All of us are facing wind and storms and whatever it may be. None of us are exempt from it. If you are, geez, please come and introduce yourself to me. I'd love to. Facing stuff. But we all are encouraged to trust in Him no matter what. The second anchor that I want you to consider this morning is that God knows everything. So what we find in the story in, in Exodus in 32, God is better to be trusted than anybody else, than any human being, as we find that they try to find refuge with Moses or with Aaron. The next thing that we see is that God knows everything. And, and I want that to be something to celebrate. Because sometimes there are things that we don't want everybody to know, isn't it? <laughs> sometimes we do things and we're like, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed about that. I'm glad nobody saw. Yeah, well, that's what we think. We read this story. Let me take you to Exodus 32. <laughs> read with me from verse 2, where the guys had now been complaining, and so Aaron responds to them, I have been gathered around him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. I don't know how easy that must have taken place. I mean, the Bible sometimes doesn't give us detail, but I'd like to ask Moses, Moses, or not Moses, Aaron, Aaron, how did the, man, the men manage to get all this stuff from their wives? Like me, you're going to take, I just got it from these Egyptian women. They gave it to me. We're going to have a golden calf. I don't want the golden calf. I want the stuff in my ears. I don't know. It's some of these things that we kind of can't really add to the Bible, but I'm asking, how did it work that men or the women just freely gave their stuff away? Yeah, yeah, okay, just take it. 
No, I don't think it worked that simply. But anyway, that's another thought. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Sounds like such a wonderful moment, but it isn't. Because up on the mountain, Moses is there. God is talking to him about how to guide the people. And they seemingly think that God is not aware of this, as we would do sometimes. I don't think God knows. I'll get away with this one. And it says there in verse 7, and so the Lord and, and Moses, they're having this conversation, and, and we don't know the detail of it. We do find that in, even in Deuteronomy, there's, there's a lot of explanation given of how it went and, and what, was, um, what was said. But yeah, it seems like this conversation is interrupted, but he's aware of what's happening down the bottom. <laughs> like Moses, my paraphrase. Stop it, buddy. Just, just keep your, just put a pause on what we've just spoken about. But down there where your people are, because God says to him, that's your people. <laughs> it's kind of like an interesting moment. God says to him, your people, look at what they're doing. And he says, go down. For your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God is busy with Moses, but he's aware of everything else. Amazing. Right at this very moment in this time sphere that we are in, there are literally millions of people worshiping the Lord. It's 9 a.m., 10 to 25. All right, I got it, I got it. Um, and people are worshiping right throughout this day. There are millions of people doing the same. And God, try to come understand this. We won't be able to. But God is mindful of every thought that people are having. And He doesn't only do that on a Sunday because it's His day, or the day of the Lord. The other days are our days, and God's not mindful of us. Not every single day. He knows your very thoughts. He knows my very thoughts. So I want to present this as an anchor to us. Not an anchor to become fearful about that. <gasps> Whoops. God knows everything. But God knows everything in the good sense that there's nothing that you and I will go through that He's not aware of. Even when we forsake Him. Even when we ignore Him, and we, even when we rebel against Him, God knows about that. So here we have this beautiful example that God is busy talking to Moses, and Moses is like, what? Imagine, God, how do you know that? We, we're just talking here, and you know that? Yeah, I know that. And so when we sit here and we have different thoughts, God knows about it, and I don't want to put a heavy on you. It's not about bringing condemnation upon people. Oh, I've got to watch my thoughts the whole time. No, no that doesn't, shouldn't be there. Oh, please forgive me, Jesus. No, it's just, God, you're with me. I'm never going to be alone. I want to celebrate that. But I also want to celebrate the fact that even when I do want to wander off, you're mindful of me. 
because you love me. You don't want me to go astray. That when I have my own thoughts and my, and my selfishness creeps in, you are mindful of that. You know about it because you want to bring me back. You want me with you. And so let's celebrate the wonderful reality that God knows everything because He is interested in you. He's interested in your goodwill. And there's nothing that we can hide from Him. And there's nothing that is too difficult for Him to not want to know about. So involve God because He already is. And so when you walk around and you, you carry burdens and you're trying to find an answer on your own, the God who's already involved in your life and knows about everything is like, just ask of me, won't you? It's okay, I'll, I'll deal with this one. No, you, you can't. You just can't. He, he knows everything, and he wants to be involved in everything of our lives. Beautiful word that we often use in a theological sense is the word omniscience. Omniscience, which really is from a Latin root. The word omni is, is a Latin word which really means all. And, and, and omniscience comes from the word science that we have, or the Latin word is scientia, which really means knowledge. So omniscience is all knowledge. And so God is this omniscient God. He's also the omnipresent God. He's always everywhere. But omniscience is a beautiful aspect and an and attribute of God that, that should settle us, should be a, an anchor to our souls. So God knows everything. He knows tomorrow. He knows everything about the present. He knows everything about our past and the past. And He knows everything, listen to this, about the future. <laughs> and so if, if we believe this, surely it should anchor our lives. It's like, hey, I, this, this brings stability to me. Hebrews 4, again, a verse that is so beautiful that confirms this. Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. I'm going to read this to you as we come in for a close. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then it says, verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight. Hey, creatures. <laughs> No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and ooh, naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We're not naked in the sense we don't walk around with clothes on, but what we do and what we see, we can't hide. What we are and what we think, it's clear to God. He sees it. And so he also sees your concerns, your worries, your anxieties, your fears. And he's like, hey, come to me. That's why God would constantly invite us to be with Him. It's amazing how many people in the world make this statement, and it's, it's a well-known phrase that people use. So where do you leave, where did you, you know, do you know where the keys are? God knows where they are. Do you know where, what's happened to these people? Oh, God knows where they are. That's a statement that many people are making every day. God knows what will happen into the future. Do you realize that actually a lot of people are saying something that actually is a beautiful statement of faith? I don't know, but God knows. <laughs> and so I don't, and we, we use it flippantly, and people do 
not really recognizing God, but actually what it means is we recognize that God does know everything. It's not just about your keys that need to be found, and God knows even where they are. But God knows. So tap into this anchor for your soul that says God knows everything, my friend. You don't have to fear the future because God knows what will happen. And God is in control of it. So just settle at his feet. Amazing thing is that even though God knows even our, our mistakes and our failures, in Exodus 34, later on it says, he is a kind God. Just verse 3, it says, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He knows what we're abounding in love towards us. He knows when I will mess up somewhere, and I hope I won't. But he still remains the same. And that's what we will tap into next time, that he is unchangeable. And so let's pray together. Lord, this morning, it's... It's so amazing to see what kind of an anchor you really are and want to be for your people, to our souls. And I pray that just these two that we focused on today, Lord God, that you are more than anyone or anything else here on earth and that you do know everything. We can't hide anything from you. I pray, Lord, that that will bring just a sense of security to our lives in this moment. And that we will live from this truth that God can be trusted and that God is aware of everything that is happening. And that in knowing the future even, you will give me the grace, you will give me the wisdom, you will give me the ability to manage what I need to do into the future because you are in control. And you know what is needed. So, Father, this morning as we close, I pray that we will truly, just that picture of the anchor, just have it up there again, just without any wording on. Just the beauty of what an anchor really means. And, and these things are heavy. The change even is part of this anchoring process for a boat or a ship. I pray, Father, that, that the reality of you being an anchor in our lives will, will really, excuse the pun, sink deep into our hearts. Father, I pray that anybody here this morning that is really battling to stay just secure in who you are and find stability in life and not be moved around by the the concerns of this world and even the want of everything that could also take us out into the deep ocean. I pray, Father, that we will sink and anchor and let you be an anchor in our lives. Friend, I, I want to ask you, if you this morning just saying, God, I've, I've just not allowed you to be that anchor in my life. I've just become so aware of things that they've, they've just, just made me move around and, and I'm being tossed to and fro by things and why don't you just reach out in your heart and just say, God, please forgive me. You don't have to stand. You don't have to run and say, Jesus, please forgive me. I've, I've allowed stuff in my life to just pull me 
offshore in a sense and pull me away from the stability of a harbor in you and being with you. God, I pray this morning that people will find again an anchor in Christ. If you've never committed your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm sorry for sin in my life. I ask you to forgive me. Why don't you just pray that prayer and say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Please become the anchor of my soul. I pray, Father, for a restoration this morning. Seeing anchors being restored in people's lives. You being that anchor. You just talk to God about this right now. Just cry out to Him, saying, Jesus, be the anchor of my soul. Be the anchor in my business. Be the anchor in my family. Be the anchor at school for me. Be the anchor in my relationship with my, with my spouse, with my children, with my parents. With, be the anchor in my relationship with people. Lord God, and where I've trusted people more than you, please forgive me. Where I've tried to run away from you and, and pretend that I could hide, please forgive me. Thank you that you're the anchor. I pray, Father, that as we, as we go from here, that we will go with this absolute conviction in our hearts that the only anchor that we can have is Christ and Christ alone. I pray for that, Lord. Trust you for your kindness. Thank you for your incredible strength that you bring to our lives. It's sometimes just like a, a ship with an anchor. We can't see the anchor, but we can see the ship is, 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 is not drifting away. It's stable. Help us to be lives like that, Father, in families and, and out there in the workplace. Lord, I pray that we will be those people that people can say, wow, can see there's stability in that life. I see there's a consistency taking place. I see there's fruit because of this being rooted, this rooted process. I pray for that, Father. In Jesus' precious name. Amen, Lord.